coming up on this episode of Inside the Epicenter. We talked about Afghanistan a lot last podcast, and you know we don't want to focus on that, but it is important to remember that 20 years on from the events of 9-11, we're still confronted with a chaotic and turbulent Middle East and a shifting playing field. Have you ever met anyone who's met a king? Welcome to Inside the Epicenter with Joel Rosenberg. I'm Carl Muller, the executive director of the Joshua Fund, a ministry dedicated to blessing Israel and her neighbors in the name of Jesus. And I'm sitting today with Joel Rosenberg here in Washington, D.C. Like, this is the first podcast that we've done that we've actually been, uh, been in, the, in same the same place, the same time, same time, uh, same side of the planet, yes. same, same city. So it's, it's nice, not it's Jerusalem nice to, see you, to California. Good to see you, <laughs> Good sir. To see you. Welcome, welcome. And I'm sitting with Joel today discussing something that was prominent in your new book, Enemies and Allies. You've met a king. You've met presidents and you've met ambassadors. You've met crown princes. Uh, one of the great things, Joel, about talking with you about these things is that uh, you've been able to write about that in your brand new book, Enemies and Allies. And I'm so excited to talk with you today about that and to have some of our uh, podcast guests join us for that. So uh, welcome. Uh, <laughs> this is not my home and this is not your home, wow. but uh, welcome. Well, it's great to be with you, Carl. And uh, for some of people who know that uh, my wife and I lived in the D.C. area here for almost 24 years. And so in some ways it is like coming home and we've got some family in the area. So it's very nice. Fascinating uh, and very uh, sobering season that we're in where the events that are going on in Afghanistan, I think, are really highlighting who are our enemies in that part of the world, the Middle East, and who are our allies. And yeah, Israel is a great ally and is our most faithful ally for the United States. But a number of Arab countries have become great allies over Mm -hmm. time or want to. And I think that's one of the elements of the book that I think most people don't realize, because if you love Israel, you you tend to be very focused on Israel and her her worst enemies, Mm -hmm. like Iran or Syria, Lebanon, whatever, uh, Hezbollah. But I think most people don't know the stories of what's going on and why Arab countries are drawing closer to Israel and actually to the United States. Yeah. I mean, I I think the events of recent weeks uh, with Afghanistan— the 20-year anniversary of 9-11, yeah. like you said, has brought this all into focus. I mean, how ironic where some of 20 years ago's enemies are now becoming allies. Uh, we have a situation where the enemies that we fought in 2001 and beyond are now the people that are running another country. We talked about Afghanistan a lot last podcast, and yeah. you know we don't want to focus on that, but it is important to remember that 20 years on, from the events of 9-11, we're still confronted with a chaotic and turbulent Middle East and a shifting playing field. Shifting fast. Um, and those were the threats. We talked about them. What's interesting, and right, and, and when the other element of the book, and not just dealing with the threats, but the opportunities, yeah. what, something crazy good is happening. I mean, Christians, we've been praying for decades and decades. I mean, you know, 2,000 years uh, for the peace of Jerusalem. Right. But we haven't seen much progress until the last couple of years, and then we've seen significant progress. So, um, but what's interesting, yeah, and I know we'll get into it, is in ways that the Joshua Fund team prayed for, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure 
we all fully expected the God to say, yeah, we prayed, Lord, would you open doors for us to get to know the leaders in the Arab Muslim world? Like, I asked the team, I call them or audacious prayers. Like, right. they're crazy, but God could do them. He can say no. I have no problem with God saying no, but what if he said yes? <laughs> and and so I asked the Josh one team, maybe, let's see, uh, I don't know, now it's probably been s- seven years ago or so. Right, right. I really have this desire to meet King Abdullah of Jordan. I want to get to know him. He He's a moderate. He's a Muslim. He's a direct descendant of the Prophet Muhammad. He's wow. a 43rd generation direct descendant. Is that right? Yeah. And so... He'd be an interesting person to get to know, and he's my neighbor, and I'm supposed to love my neighbor, and now that I live in Israel and all, and, hey, guys, what do you think? Would you pray for me? And we were at a board meeting just yesterday, and and one of the board members said, I remember you asking us that. I'm like, you're insane. I mean, I'll do it. I'll pray, but there's no way that's going to happen. So let's talk about Jordan. Let's talk about the opportunities that uh, exist there, and really... You have a really unique way that you uh, got to actually meet yeah. the king. Why don't you? Can you talk about that a little bit? I, I know would, you talk I, about I, it in the book. Yeah, but. I'd be happy to. It is, it's a fun story in the book. Um, so one of the things I do that isn't Joshua fun, but when I write novels, I wrote a trilogy about the Islamic State or ISIS capturing chemical weapons in Syria Hmm. and then plotting a series of horrible attacks against Israel, against the United States, and against Jordan. Mm -hmm. And in the novel series, the ISIS is trying to assassinate King Abdullah, take down the Jordanian government, and then take over the country and fly the black flags of ISIS over the capital of Amman. Okay, so it's fiction, right? It's a worst-case scenario. Don't want it to happen. But what if it did? How would it play out? So as it happens, one of the advisors to the king was going to go meet the king. The king was flying here to Washington to meet with then-President Obama and then-Vice President Biden. The advisor happened to have some business he needed to do in London, so he was routing through Heathrow Airport. And as he's going through Heathrow, he sees a copy of the second book in the series. Okay. Uh, He had no idea who I was. He didn't know my name. He had never read one of my books. But the cover looked interesting. So he ducked into the bookstore. He bought the book, settled into the fight. <laughs> Chapter one. Chapter one, the first page, the palace in Jordan has completely been destroyed. Wow. Uh, it's in flames. The king is flying his own Black Hawk helicopter, trying to uh, create a, uh, you know, build a, a, a counter strike right. uh, against ISIS, which is overrunning the city and the country. And this guy's like, what? And I've got King Abdullah by name in the book. I, I couldn't think of how to fictionalize him. So that's his him. boss. The guy's it's reading about his, his boss. boss. Yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> and his and he, king. And he says, uh, I mean, it's King Abdullah by name. No, I don't usually do that. Right. And it's super risky to do it. Anyway, I did it. So by the time he lands in Washington, he goes to the hotel room of the king. He clears security. And he's like, your majesty, you know. You have to read this. He's like, what do you mean I have to read this? He's like, why do I have to read this? Because you're in it. What are you talking about? It's a novel, it looks like. He goes, yeah, but you're a character in the book. Now, what happened in that story, and this is not a partisan thing, it's just what happened. The king's meeting with President Obama was canceled. Mm. And the president said, I'm too busy. I'm going to have to reschedule. Well, the king was already in town. The press already knew he was there. He had other meetings he needed to do, so he couldn't really leave. But he had two days on his schedule that he didn't have anything to do. 
So he read my book. <laughs> Not this particular book. Yeah, but. yeah. And on day two, the advisor came over and the king, his majesty said, you know, who is this guy? I don't know. <laughs> Go find out. Go have lunch, dinner with him. Get to know him. Well, that set into motion when I did meet with the advisor, he said he issued an, an express an invitation for the king to invite my wife and me to come for five days. Wow. To Amman to get to know him and his, his inner circle. So you and Lynn got to go to the palace. We went. So, Amman. yeah. So we we went to the very palace um, that's featured in the book and it was surreal. And. We had lunch with the king, with the advisor, Lynn and me. No other advisors, no security. Wow. Just us in sort of the, the dining room of the, of the situation room. So the king says, uh, Joel, I was thinking, where would be a good place to meet you for the first time? And he said, well, you did blow up my palace. <laughs> so I thought, maybe, maybe you should see it. And I was like, wow, this is lovely, your majesty. Uh, this is a... I got, actually got so nervous, Carl, that I called him your honor. <laughs> your honor. Uh, and, uh, your eminence. Like, oh, I'm sorry. Your holiness. Yeah, I'm not used <laughs> to this. Then he said, uh, he goes, now I, I see, Joel, that you made me a, a character in the book. I said, well, I, I meant no disrespect. I said, no, right, no, no, I, I get right. it. But I also see that you've made my advisors and my uh, staff, they're all fictionalized. Mm-hmm. But I can see who's who. So I, I bought a lot of copies of your book, and I, I, show, I give them, and I say, hey, this is you. You don't make it through the terrorist attack. You might want to read that. Incredible sense of humor, oh this guy. Uh, uh, oh, my goodness. Then after an, an hour and a half lunch, he says, listen, um, would you have any interest in joining me at a live fire military exercise? Wow. And I, I was tempted because I'm a wiseacre to yeah. go, well, you know, we were going to take a nap or go swimming, <laughs> check out the shuk and, you know, yeah, get, right. uh, you know yeah. buy some you know. pottery. I don't know. I said, no, we would be honored. He's well, so a few weeks ago, President, Vice President Biden was supposed to be here and I was going to show him how our forces are training to fight ISIS. Right. And we use live fire. Most militaries in the world don't actually use real bullets, bombs, because it's dangerous. Right. But I've got to you know, help these soldiers know what it's like. I mean, they're not being shot at. Right, right, right. But right. everything else, the chaos, the confusion, and you got to be, he says, but when the Secret Service learned that we were going to do that, they're like, not going to do it. You know, it's not going to happen. <laughs> not prudent. Not going to be prudent. So, so he says, so yeah. we rescheduled for today. Now, yeah. I wasn't really rescheduling for you and Lynn, right. but you're here. I woke well. up this morning. I thought, would you be interested? I said, sure. Oh, wow. So this is great. Well, I got to go home and change. We're going to put you in a helicopter, fly you out to this base. I described this in Enemies and Allies. But one other thing about that. Just before we left, I said, you know, Your Majesty, you read the, the second book in the series. Yeah. And I wondered if I could give you a few copies, you and your team, uh, of the first book. I brought it. And he said, sure. I said, can I show you one thing? He said, he said sure. Yeah. So, so in that particular book, it's called The Third Target. Right. I said, chapter one begins, the first line was... I had never met a king before. <laughs> and that's how the book begins. And he laughed and he pulls a pen out of his pocket. He goes, well, you have now. And he signed, and he signed it, Abdullah oh, the Second, And he gave it back. Oh, my and I goodness. was like, we just, he was so warm. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. And that was the beginning of five days. Right. Uh, amazing. Now, I mean, we've got to say up front that... In many of the stories in the book, Enemies and Allies, you bring uh, sort of a 
personal touch and opportunity to be one-on-one, you know, at a heart level with folks. I mean, this isn't a, a, you know, just a collection of stories, though. This is actually sort of your experience and analysis of where we are at in this current moment in history with all of these countries and all of these things. And and I mean, I think it's absolutely unique, and I would say divine providence that you've had the opportunity to to be at these levels at this time. And I, I think just, it's an answer to prayer. I mean, I, it, it's, it's an answer so, to it's prayer. So crazy. Sure. It's so crazy. Sure, <laughs> if you're the Secretary of State or you're the Vice President or the President of the United States, of course you're going to go sit with the King or right. have him come and... It's not normal. You're an upstate New York boy. For to be a Jewish, <laughs> evangelical, American, Israeli with two sons who right. served in the Israeli army, right. it's just not normal to sit with a Muslim monarch. It's, right. You know, it's not... But you're right. It, so this book, Enemies and Allies, really, it tells these stories, but it tells it because some huge changes are happening in the yeah, region. that's right. And... Many Americans, we talked about in the last podcast, many Americans have been so focused, of course, in the last 18 months or so on COVID and the health issues and the economic issues and our churches have been shuttered, many of them, and all the controversy over vaccines and the the elections. A lot to focus on internally. Mm -hmm. Race riots, uh, George Floyd, just Mm -hmm. horrible, challenging things that most people haven't been focused on what's going on in the Middle East. Right. I slightly regret not putting this line in the book, but I will say to you, Carl, that I find myself reminded as this book has launched of the line from the least good Godfather movie yeah. where Michael Corleone says, as much as I try to get away from this thing, the more they pull, pull me back, back in. <laughs> you know, we, we, we can look away from the Middle East yeah. and the current administration wishes it could shift on other things. And sure. look, we all wish... Enough already of the war and the terror. Let's do domestic home building. We got a lot of issues here at home. Right. True, but the Middle East, the more you try to pull away, the more you, they try to pull you back you in. Back. But not only are bad things happening in the Middle East, really good things are happening. And what I'm excited about this book is because it allows me to take readers into the palaces with me. Come with me, sit down with the people who are deciding right. the future who are affecting shaping these are it. these are not observers i'm mm-hmm. not just sitting with a journalist or a, or an analyst or or a low level mm-hmm. person these are the decision makers at the Absolutely. top the kings the crown princes the presidents the prime ministers and king abdullah is i would argue the most moderate most faithful friend of the united states he's maintaining a peace treaty with israel mm-hmm. um, even though many jordanians are very unhappy with israel there many are palestinian origin themselves but that set of meetings led to me saying, we had a final uh, private dinner at his palace, his private palace, which I didn't blow up in the book, which is good. Yeah. But I said to him, you know, I've been, we have been so fascinated. We've learned so much. I hope that you can see that I had respect for you before we came. But now I, I just know so much more by spending time, not just with you, but also your, your senior military and national security team. I think other American evangelical leaders who, they do love Israel, but they would benefit a lot mm. from having an experience like this. Mm-hmm. Would you ever be interested in meeting with some of them? And he said, why don't we work together to put together a delegation? Wow. Um, now, his father, King Hussein, um, was very friendly with Christians. Mm-hmm. And King Abdullah has also done this. So I was not the first one to ever do this. Mm-hmm. Your friend and previous boss, Rick Warren, yeah. had been invited by the king. So mm-hmm. the king has been the, probably the most forward-leaning 
in reaching out to Christians over the years. Not many, but right. some. Right. But he invited me. And so th- we not only met with him, a working lunch in the palace and the foreign minister and the interior minister and the head of intelligence and all these different... Yeah. Uh, but we met with Jordanian Christians as well. We made sure to have time right. with the leaders of the evangelical Jordanian national believers. And that was encouraging too. We didn't have any government people with us. So we could wow. just have a candid conversation. How do you... What's How, what are your lives yeah. like? How can we pray for you? What are your challenges? And yeah. that's some of that stuff is off the record, mm-hmm. but I'm able from other ways to at least paint a portrait of kind of the challenges that for sure. Christians well, in the region face. You know, and that's part of the ministry of the Joshua Fund that you and Lynn founded back in 2006, 15 years ago, actually. Yeah. So, uh, and you've been really faithful to that vision of not only. These opportunities that work at the you know sort of state level, but really working alongside believing communities in Israel and the neighboring countries, and I want to get back to some of that, and I want to get back to you know what you talked about in terms of delegations, because not only have you had the opportunity to you know meet with the King of Jordan, but also heads of state and uh, crown princes in other countries, yeah. and it's crazy, and importantly, <laughs> I think our our listeners need to know that you've also had the opportunity to meet with some of the leading officials in the United States on these issues, right. President, Vice President, right. Secretary of State. So I know that people are going to be fascinated to read this book and to hear more of this podcast, but we're going to take a quick break right now and thank everybody who's been listening for paying uh, so much of you listening to this program. It's been a uh, remarkable Trajectory to watch our podcast numbers go up as as we've had the opportunity to do that. So yeah, if a tree falls in the woods and nobody hears it, <laughs> that's you know, right. we can still make paper out of it. But that's you know, right. or build a house. But it is encouraging to see that people are you're all responding. Yeah, uh, that, is, that this is filling some interest, maybe a need. Uh, what in the world is going on in the epicenter? What, exactly. And how can we understand it? How can we pray? And I, I, I love doing this. So, yeah, I'm happy to t- tell more stories in a moment. Great. This is Carl Muller, Executive Director of the Joshua Fund. Scripture tells us that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Would you take a moment right now to pray for our staff at the Joshua Fund as they work to bless Israel and her neighbors in the name of Jesus? We're in a battle against the evil one, and your prayers make all the difference. Joel, we've been talking about, you know, the, the uniqueness of getting a chance to meet the king and, and having all of the conversations around that from that perspective. Jordan's one country in a constellation of countries around Israel. We talk uh, pretty casually sometimes about the Middle East, but it's incredibly different from country to country and, sure. and the way that Christians and other situations are. You also had a chance to lead a delegation uh, to uh, Jordan, but also to the country of Egypt. Yeah. Now, I've had In the some ways, that was even more dramatic because yeah. they've never... Uh, never invited Christians. I was just about the, to say yeah, okay, that. Sorry. I mean, going no. <laughs> <It's> true. <laughs> from my experience, there, it's remarkable because 
having been in Egypt several times and right around the Arab Spring, uh, when afterwards we know that the uh, Muslim Brotherhood took over, there was a period of time where there was just incredible chaos for the Christian community there. Churches being burned down. Churches being burned on a regular basis, bombed. Christians being Uh, attacked. But then you had the opportunity with the new president of Egypt, uh, al-Sisi, to have a delegation there. Tell me a little bit about that experience and what that means for the Christian community there in Egypt. So after we first saw God answer the prayer of the Joshua team, Lord, would you open the door for us to get to know King Abdullah? We thought, uh, we have that expression in Hebrew, dayenu, this alone would be enough. (laughs) We thought, well, Lord, I mean, we've got other neighbors. So I said to the team, well, could we start praying more? I mean, we always pray for all the leaders, even the enemy. We're praying for Bashar al-Assad. Sure. I don't expect an invitation to meet him. Uh, Hasran Nasrallah, the head of Hezbollah, you know, in Lebanon. We pray for our, our neighbors mm-hmm. and our enemies. We do. Um, because the Lord commands us to, and we're honored to do it. But I was asking the team, let's pray for President, more for President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi. He's the one who removed the Muslim Brotherhood mm-hmm. from power and became the president. He's controversial. I get it. Well, but all of these figures Well, they're all controversial. <laughs> it's the whole region is full of controversy. But he's a really interesting figure. And I, I'm pray- I find myself being drawn to him more and praying for him. And let's pray for that. So, you know, everyone's like, okay, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I know. But our faith was a little bit encouraged, sure. actually. So I asked people to pray. So what happened? Just, it wasn't that long, a few months, I think it was, after, and I tell this in the book, of course, after the King Abdullah stuff, that I I was in Washington, D.C. on a book tour, a different mm-hmm. book tour, but President El-Sisi was coming to Washington to meet with President Trump. It was his first state visit to Washington, and he decided to have a meeting with 60 Middle East experts and I was just getting to know the ambassador from Egypt to Washington. And he said, would you like to join us? I said, I would be honored. So we came to this thing. And the ground rules of that meeting were that you couldn't say who was in the room. Okay, so I won't tell you. But there were high-level you know, people. And then me. <laughs> but what happened is, at the end of two hours of Q&A with President El-Sisi, and of course, Egypt is the largest country in the Arab world, 100 million people, is the intellectual and media and cultural center of the Arab world, Mm -hmm. and for a long time was the military power and and the main threat uh, in the Arab world Mm -hmm. against Israel, right? Mm -hmm. So, two hours. And then the president stands up, his entourage stands up, and we all stand up, and we expect him to leave. He doesn't. He just starts chatting with the people at the head table. And I'm watching, and I'm thinking... No one's going up to take a selfie with Cece? Come on. And we actually couldn't keep our phones in the room because of yeah. the Secret Service. But I thought, I want to go meet him. Nobody else seems to be going up there. Maybe they know the protocol, but I don't. Right. Unless they tackle me, the Secret Service tackles me, I'm going in. We call that chutzpah. Chutzpah, chutzpah. yes, exactly. That's right. So I walk around. They don't stop me. The next thing I know, I'm shaking hands with the president of Egypt. Wow. And I say, Mr. President, I introduce myself, and I say, uh, I want to thank you as an Israeli, evangelical, American, Jewish, for rescuing 100 million Egyptians from the reign of terror of the Muslim Brotherhood. And he looked touched. He said, well, you're welcome. I mean, like, and you would be. (laughs) And I said, and I want to thank you as an evangelical Christian for all that you're doing to protect the Christians in Egypt and your 
you've ordered the government to pay for the rebuilding hmm. of all the churches that were damaged, destroyed, burnt, uh, defaced during the Arab Spring. Thank you for that. He goes, well, you're welcome. I said, I noticed that you've been meeting with Jewish leaders, with uh, uh, Coptic Orthodox Christian leaders mm-hmm. um, and others. You've got Pope Francis coming, uh, you know, obviously the head of the Roman Catholic Church in a few weeks. You're really reaching out to groups that are not just Egyptian Muslims. He right. said, well, this is the new Egypt, Joel. I, I hope you heard me share, but, but you're right. I'm, I'm trying to do things differently. Yeah. I said, well, it's, it's impressive. I said, now, this is not a criticism. And maybe I missed it. Maybe it was off the record. But I haven't seen any reports that you've been meeting with evangelical Christians. Mm. Is that true? And he said, yeah, that's, I think that's true. I, goes, mm-hmm. I guess mm-hmm. we haven't, but no. I said, well, you may want to consider that. There are 60 million, roughly, in the United States. Right. 600 million worldwide. It's a pretty influential um, group. And the Bible commands us to love Egypt, as you know, Mr. President, as a devout Muslim. You know, though, that, that Egypt is, is a large part of the biblical story. So we have a great love for Egypt. So it's something you might want to consider. I just recently was in Jordan. King Abdullah asked me to work together, to put together the first uh, evangelical delegation in a while. Uh, it's a Jordan. It's something for you to consider to get to know evangelical leaders. Now, totally honestly, uh, Carl, and I, and I say this in the book, I actually wasn't pitching him. I was right. trying to plant a seed that might grow over time. I mean, again, but he goes, well, Joel, would you like to bring a delegation to meet with me in Cairo? I would be honored. And I, and I said, and I'm like, uh, let me pray about that. <laughs> yes. yes, I would. He has no idea who I am. I got in the room somehow. Right. I mean, so I was cleared. Right. <laughs> right. But we talked for a few more minutes about what that could look like and we have had a nine-minute conversation. Wow. Still, there's nobody around. So he turns to the three men next to him, his chief of staff, his foreign minister, and the ambassador. He says, gentlemen, make this thing happen. Wow. So I step aside with them. We exchange business cards. I get on a plane. I fly back to Israel. Now, a few days later, Carl, and this is a story I love. It's in the book. I get back to Israel, and a few days later, it's Passover. Right. So mm-hmm. we're at the next-door neighbor's who happens to be the head of the Bible college in Israel and dear friends of ours. And there's a number of families from the college and we're all there with our kids and we're celebrating the exodus of the Jews out of Egypt, right? <laughs> it's just a great, beautiful story. Wow. And they're like, wait, 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 what? You just met with the president of Egypt and he wants you to, you asked if he could, you could bring a delegation and he sort of, and I said, well, sort of. And he said, yes, I mean, what, 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 what is going on here? I said, yeah. think about how crazy this is. Yeah. A Jewish man standing before the leader of Egypt on the eve of Passover and saying, let my people come. <laughs> that is not how the story goes, right? We all know this. Um, now I thought maybe the Lord will harden his heart. Maybe it won't happen. But it happened. Wow. Just wow. a few months later. That was yeah. April uh, of 17. And by November 1st, we were sitting in the palace for a nearly three-hour meeting. And I remember, this was before I was with the Joshua Fund, but I remember reading about that in the news and listening yeah, to the quotes, and I thought, this is absolutely remarkable. There's nobody else in the Christian world that I know of, I mean, apart from the Pope or, or you know, <laughs> right. the Pope of the Coptic Orthodox right. Church, that gets to meet with uh, the president of Egypt in a context like this. And, 
That alone would have been a Dianu. Right. But it's led to multiple meetings and follow-up conversations right. with him and, and his team. Right. And we've, you know, we have a lot to cover. I mean, this is an incredible book. I mean, what I got from reading this book, and thank you for sharing it with me before the actual sure. publisher got a chance to do the comments. final. Uh, when we, you know, was reading this, along with some of our other staff at, at the Joshua Fund, I think what God was impressing on us was, you know, the difference between Kronos time and Kairos time, mm. that this is a Kairos moment for the opportunity to engage with leaders in these countries that historically and traditionally have been totally closed That's to the right. gospel. Right. You, you've even had the opportunity to share Christ. So not uh, Members of the delegations you've led have been able to share Christ with some of these world leaders. Yeah, we pray. We ask, what are your prayer requests? We, right. We're commanded in the New Testament to pray for kings and all those in authority. So, President Sisi, how can we pray for you? You know, King Abdullah, how can we pray for you? Then we ask, may we pray for you before we leave? And they almost always say, yes, and we actually pray. And we pray in the name of Jesus. We're respectful, but they've asked us to come as Christians. We're Mm -hmm. not, we don't have to hide that. They know who we are. Sure. But you're right. This is a Kairos moment. This is a moment that's unlike almost any other window of time in history. I mean, the Apostle Paul does meet with governors and kings and other leaders. He's usually in chains. Yes, that's right. But, you know, uh, we got to stay in nice hotels and, uh, you know, and and, and have motorcades. Uh, we, we don't deserve this. We didn't. It was more than we hoped for, dreamt of, or imagined. Yeah. It was a very Ephesians 3.20 moment. But what was great is, listen, Christians have not had the opportunity to bring up very sensitive and very mm-hmm. uh, urgent issues with the, the top Muslim leaders in the region. Right? Yeah. We weren't just there to go, hey, this is fun, there's a palace, it's beautiful, I mean, this is great, and let's get a picture taken. We were like, listen, you you got Christians here that are suffering. Like, can we talk about this? There are there is still persecution in Egypt. Mm. Um, it's not yeah. so much government mandated anymore. It's right. changing. But is every police officer and judge protecting Christians in every way? Not enough. Right. And so as a human rights issue, as a religious freedom issue, um, we talked about these things. We asked questions. We went there uh, with planning. We were told we were going to have an hour, which seemed like a wonderful amount of time. But he went almost three hours. He let us ask every question that we wanted it was all on the record. Wow. Obviously, I didn't include every single line in mm-hmm. the book, but a lot of it. When does anybody get a chance as a Christian to go ask these questions? And then when do you get to come into the room with, with us? I yeah. would, it would have been fun if it was all videotaped. But right. So there are, I don't want to paint a rosy picture, Carl. The challenges in Jordan, the challenges in Egypt... For Christians, for people, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, there's there's poverty, there's 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 terrorism, there's mm-hmm. a lot of challenges. But for the followers of Jesus Christ in these countries, there are challenges. They're real. Yeah. Now, the Christian leaders in both countries told us there's movement. We yeah. are seeing progress, but um, we don't want to make it sound like it's oh, no. just all good. Yeah. And so I try to deal with these things in the book. Again, I, I also say, look. Love them, hate them, agree with them, disagree with them. These are complicated leaders. They're the most consequential and complicated leaders in the region. But you get to hear them in their own words 
answer questions. Now, you may not like the answer. We didn't like the answer to some of the questions we've sure. asked with these and others. But we were looking for long-term relationships. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, yeah, and, 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 and so it's totally so important for you know, our listeners to know that in these countries, I think sometimes we don't reflect on the fact that in these countries, Jordan, Egypt... Syria, Lebanon, there are historic Christian communities that have been there since the time of Christ. And the challenge, of course, is they are oppressed minorities. They're sometimes denied basic, you know, access to economic opportunities, you know, things we take for granted, educational opportunities. And so creating an environment at the presidential or or um, you know leadership levels in these countries has a, an effect of helping those Christian communities in the environment they live. It doesn't change the social dynamic or the family dynamic when it comes to conversion or various other things that happen within the, these countries. But it is it's remarkable that a conversation can take place and that the plight, the situation, the reality of Christian living in those countries can be brought up and government officials can respond to it, like you said. Yeah. Uh, what a unique and it's an opportunity. Yeah. That's what we're focusing on today is the, right. the opportunities that God is bringing, uh, not just through you, but through many, many uh, organizations, including the Joshua Fund, that are, that are bringing some openness to this situation. Absolutely. And one of the positive effects, and again, having a three-hour meeting, wonderful, it's not going to change the universe, but what was interesting about that first meeting that we had, uh, the first public meeting, was that it wasn't supposed to be public at first. We were told it's going to be one hour and it'll be off the record. Wow. And I said back to the ambassador, that's fine. We yeah. are not looking for a photo op. Yeah. What we're looking for is a long-term relationship because there's a lot of issues we want to talk about. We want to strengthen our brothers and sisters on the ground Amen. in Egypt. By the way, as an aside, uh, I, I flew to Cairo almost immediately after the invitation to meet with some of the major Christian leaders there to brief them yeah. that this was an opportunity. And I said, we are not looking to work around you. We're looking to strengthen you. What would strengthen you? Yeah. Their first reaction, by the way, was an Israeli Jewish evangelical, you're here to strengthen us? Like that, mm-hmm. that, that they were uncomfortable with it. They sure. were stressed, actually. Mm-hmm. But as we got to know each other, they thought, well, <laughs> one of the the guys who built the bridge between me and them, he said, well, it's already happening, so what do we, how do we make the best of it? Right. And I said, we're here to serve you. Yeah. The president invited me to bring people, but we want to come spend time with you all. We want to know how to pray for you. We want to know. Same thing we did in Jordan, we right. did in Egypt. And as we got to know each other, just relationship, that stress level, that fear that this could actually yeah. harm us began to go down. Now, none of us believe that we don't want to have crazy expectations that everything's going to be better and everything is better. Right. But one of the things that the Christian, both Coptic Orthodox, we met with the Coptic Pope, Tuadros. Mm-hmm. We met with the head of the Protestants. So there's about roughly 15 million Coptic Orthodox mm-hmm. Christians in the country and about 2 million Protestant evangelicals. Mm-hmm. We met with the leaders of both. And one of the things they both said is the fact that the president has decided now so I'm, I'm, I'm compressing the conversations. Sure. We had several of them. But eventually, the meeting with CC, they decided to make public. The palace did. They put out photos of us, and they put out a statement, and it became the front page story and the lead story on all Exactly, TV. yeah. That would have freaked out the Egyptian Christians six months earlier. But because we've been working on how can we 
work together, mm-hmm. and we'd even invited, we'd asked the palace, we want the head of the Protestant right. Christians to be able to be with us. The Coptic Orthodox Pope had a back problem at that time, but couldn't. We, otherwise, we would have liked to have, have him in the room, too. Sure. So he got to talk to the president. He, he, that was not normal. Mm-hmm. He had not, he'd, there'd never been an evangelical delegation. Wow. He, so all that to say, we learned from the Christian leaders that what was encouraging to them was, yes, we were getting to know them and hear their prayer requests, yeah. but also that the palace was saying the Muslim president of the country thinks it's a good idea hmm. to spend time with the head of the Egyptian Protestants and with Christians from abroad. Therefore, that Christian-Muslim relations are a positive thing. Mm-hmm. In other words, Sisi was showing by example something that is not practiced yes, that's in right. Egypt, that that's right. Muslims are feel friendly towards their Christian neighbors. Now, some do, of course, but many think this is yeah. a gulf that cannot be crossed, right? So that was a longer answer than I intended, but I, I just think that... Um, We've gotten a lot of criticism mm-hmm. from Egyptian Christians in mm-hmm. the States who mm-hmm. feel like that we are not being honest enough mm-hmm. about the challenges that still remain. Right. And I think that in the book I am, but mm-hmm. I say, and I, I cite the criticism, but I say, look, this is a long-term process. Yeah. We need to focus in part on the progress that's been made. The Bible mm-hmm. tells us to honor those we can honor and give right. credit where credit is due in a sense. Romans, Paul tells us that. But we still have to be honest and willing to say sure. this is not good and more well, progress is needed, much more progress. And you're absolutely right. Progress, more progress is needed. I mean, one of the things that, that you know, is always fascinating to me are people who have the most to say about how diplomacy works are the people who know the least about it. Mm-hmm. And the idea that sometimes... You have dialogue with people that you may have fundamental disagreements with. For example, you know you're not you're talking to a descendant of Muhammad. You're talking to the president of the largest you know uh, Egyptian country in the Middle East and Muslim country, uh, Muslim country, uh, Egypt, and and the idea that you know you're going to have you know uh, no connection to converse with them is to play the game of absolute. If you play the game of absolute, you never make progress. In other words, if I don't have, if we're not in 100% agreement, then we're not going to Right, we can't, we can't talk. Well, that's right. And that's a huge problem in the Middle East where uh, even within the Jewish believing community in Israel, if, well, those guys are charismatic and those guys are more conservative and should we even break bread together? Right. Or we're Palestinian Christians and we believe in this way of approaching the political scene and here's, should we break bread together? This is a problem, and, it, yeah. and there's a view. It's, it's true in America, too. It's very tribal mm-hmm. these days, more mm-hmm. divided than ever. It's certainly true where it's literally tribal right. in the Middle East, and that is this, that if you spend time with someone with whom you have some agreement and but lots of disagreement, that somehow you're betraying your tribe. Exactly. That and is not that, how Jesus operated. That's right. Jesus, nobody believed in him, nobody, <laughs> when he started, right? right? 100% of the people didn't get it. Including his own initial followers. Like, right. I'm not sure if I understand. But Jesus constantly went into communities that nobody expected. He went up to Lebanon. Mm-hmm. And his disciples were like, what is he doing? Weren't you called to the house of Israel? Like, and he crossed the Jordan River and spent time in what we would now call the kingdom of Jordan. Right. Heals a couple of demon-possessed people. One of them says, can I follow you back into Israel? And he says, no. I need you to go talk about me and what you've learned and how you've been blessed 
with all the people in your country. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting how Jesus went into the neighboring countries. Right. And of course, we know he went to Egypt. <laughs> yes. Now, he, you know, it was a parent's decision because the Holy Spirit told him, but mm-hmm. we brought that up with President Sisi. Yes. Uh, we talked about a lot of these biblical stories. And one of the guys on the delegation, the last question that came up, he said, well, it wasn't even a question. Uh, the pastor said, Mr. President, I'm not sure if you're aware, but there's a prophecy in the book of Isaiah, chapter 19, that talks about very, very hard and challenging times coming for Egypt, but also that God's going to pour out great blessings spiritually and uh, emotionally spiritually. And he just gave a, a, a thumbnail description of Isaiah 19. Imagine yeah, getting to sit with the... And then we didn't get thrown out, and we right. got invited to meet with right. him multiple other times. One other thing, I, I, we probably have to wrap this, uh, this yeah, version up. but We're going to have to do another one of these we on, on this book, that's for sure. But one of the other meetings he asked, would I bring a delegation back in January of, I think it was 18 or 19. It's in the book, I'm yeah. forgetting right now. I think it was 19, actually. But he said, we're building the largest church in the history of the Middle East. Wow. And I'm going to give it to the Christians of Egypt on Christmas Eve as a gift. I'm like, what? (laughs) And he said, Joel, would you bring a delegation to help us inaugurate it, to celebrate um, and be there? And I was like, absolutely. I didn't have to think twice about that. And so that was incredibly special to come back to Egypt and to be there. And that Christmas Eve service with the Pope, uh, Pope Tawadros, the Coptic Orthodox Orthodox Christian Pope of Egypt, and the president, El uh, Sisi, live national television. Wow. Um, we were there for the whole service, and we got text even during the service. Oh my gosh, the Egyptian Christians, we're watching you on on, <laughs> on our television. What's going on? How is this happening? And wow. the president came over to greet us personally as a delegation. The point is, God is moving. Wow. Again, I want to be clear. I don't want to paint a rosy picture. There's a lot of progress that has to be made. But imagine Egypt under the Muslim Brotherhood. Imagine them under a, a radical Islamist Sharia law environment. How would Christians be, what would their lives be like? Mm-hmm. Yes, progress needs to be made. Yes, President Sisi is not doing everything he can. And he needs to be encouraged, um, challenged at times to do much more. Yeah. But let's be thankful to the Lord for the things that have happened. Yeah. Is there ever a case in human history, I can't think of one, where a country that was controlled by radical Islamism has been liberated by local people, not wow. by an American right. you know, detachment of Marines or whatever. We know Afghanistan went the other way. Right. We went from radical Islam to freedom and yeah. now back to yeah. radical Islam. But we haven't seen this. Let's be grateful for what we can be and let's keep praying, Lord. That's exactly You're a right. prayer hearing and a prayer answering God. Let's stand with our Egyptian brothers and sisters and help them keep advancing the kingdom of God. Amen. Well, Joel, thank you. And everyone listening, uh, we do have more to share about this. Um, I know that everyone's going to want to hear about specifically your relationship with the U.S. Abraham Accords and how that all took place. There's so much more. Again, this book is, it's not fiction. No, it's, <laughs> uh, I got pulled it, into a thriller. It, that's right. It's real world, fast moving, Pace in the uh, in the Middle East today. Your your ability to write about that. I'm I'm excited to tell more about this book to our listeners. And I want to thank you, Joel, for uh, just taking the time to 
bring us into the palaces and bring <laughs> us into the presidential uh, meetings. Wow. Well, and, I'm honored to do it. And I, and I hope that uh, as people read the book, they'll also see that I talk about how do you make this practical? I have learned all this stuff. Great. But how can I be more prayerful and more helpful to the Christians of Egypt and Jordan and others? And I talk about the Joshua Fund in one of the final chapters, as, as, as why we do what we do and how people can get involved. Because I don't want this to... So we, we often say, and maybe we close on this thought, we t- encourage people, learn, pray, give, and go. Okay? Right now, going is hard because of COVID. We can't take you to Egypt or take you to Israel yet. But we look forward <laughs> to the doors reopening. But the book, the podcast is about learning. Yes. And it's about praying. And I hope that you will also financially contribute to the Joshua Fund because this money goes to strengthen the very people on the ground that we're talking about. Yeah. And what an exciting time to stand with our brothers and sisters. Amen. Well, Joel, thank you. And thanks to all our listeners. Um, if you liked what you've heard on this podcast, uh, you can certainly check out the show notes that are at the bottom of, the, uh, of, of your listening stream. And Uh, follow through on some of the things that Joel's talked about by getting involved with the Joshua Fund. You can go to our website at joshuafund.com. And uh, for Joel Rosenberg and the Joshua Fund, I'm Carl Muller. Thank you for listening. In a world where relationships are easily broken and often discarded, the Rebuilding Us Marriage Podcast is your lighthouse, guiding the way to hope, restoration, and transformation in Christ. I'm your host and marriage coach, Dana Shea. Join me as we discuss the necessary tools for rebuilding marriages from adversity, betrayal, and disconnection. It's time to reignite love as we rebuild marriages from the ground up. Listen to the Rebuilding Us Marriage podcast on lifeaudio.com or wherever you get your podcasts.